0: So my freshman year at high school, uh, I was in biology and we had to do this experiment um, in like groups and my experiment that I chose was I wanted to measure uh, how different kind of additives and minerals would affect the growth of different kinds of plants and so i devised this experiment where i had like miracle grow and just plain water and i got like potassium and iron i even got like a multivitamin and i i mixed them in with water and then i'd water the plants every day and measure their growth over time and see if like any of the different um things made a bigger difference on growth, like what what kind of additives would help the plant grow the most? And of course, my hypothesis was that, you know, the miracle grow surely would be the thing that made the plant grow. The most. Um, and and I was kind of surprised when I got to the end of the experiment, and the plant with Miracle Grow was definitely not the biggest. Like I was shocked. As a matter of fact, the one that had the, the most positive effect was the Centrum Multivitamin, followed by just the pure potassium, and then followed by the Miracle Grow. And I thought that was really weird. And so I was trying to figure out what that was. Um, and I was measuring, you know, just the growth of the plant. I don't even know what kind of plant it was, some kind of little shoot. And it was measuring from like like where the, the base of the plant was in the dirt up to the top. Um, and, and one of the things that I realized is that for whatever reason, the Miracle Grow plant, uh, the roots on it, were not as deep as the other ones there was a problem with the roots i, I honestly think looking back that it was just something with the plant um, and not really necessarily anything to do with the miracle grow it just it wasn't a very good experiment what can i say i was a freshman in high school give me a break <laughs> um, but but there was a problem with the roots and so it didn't matter how much nutrients you added didn't matter how much miracle grow you gave it there's a problem with the roots and so the plant would never grow like the other plants would no matter what you did to try to change it. And there was an important lesson that I learned um, as a freshman in high school in my biology class, is that the plant is only as healthy as its roots. And that really, it's the root system that determines the growth of the plant. And now the Apostle Paul in this letter to Ephesians, he's been talking a lot about growth. I mean, he's been talking about what it looks like when the gospel takes root in individual people's lives, that you are saved by grace through faith. It's a gift of God. It's not something you do. It's not something you can earn. It's a gift that he gives you. Um, But then what he's doing is he's doing a work in you to then work through you to bless the world as he's creating a new kind of humanity. And Paul spends a lot of time, of course he's talking to a church. So he spends time talking about what this looks like when these groups of individual people uh, are formed and they come together. Now you have these new, new communities. He says it's literally like the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a new kind of humanity that's being formed that God is using to demonstrate his wisdom to the world. And of course, uh, one of the things he's, he's talking about here this week is specifically what that growth looks like in individual people. If you remember back to last week, you know that we talked about maturity and 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 kind of what that process looks like at a bigger level. Well, this week he gets into some more specifics um, in this passage in Ephesians 4 and Ephesians 5. And so I invite you to follow along with me as we look at this scripture together. We're just going to start in Ephesians 4 and then talk through some different things throughout so this is ephesians 4 verses 17 through 24 i'm going to read this and then we'll go on from there paul says in ephesians 4 so i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that's in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like god in true righteousness and holiness one of the things that paul's saying here is that like new christians um, new followers of jesus that their lives must look different Um, of course like at some level you know we kind of get this right that like Uh, there is this kind of moral imperative that is then put on us when we start to follow Jesus, when we look at his life and we consider his teaching and we we consider maybe what that means for us. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And of course, you keep in mind, right, Jesus was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. The Jews were regarded in the ancient world as as being very peculiar because they had such a strict moral code. It's not that pagans didn't have moral codes. It's not that Gentiles didn't have moral codes. You think of philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. They had a lot to say about ethics and morality and how you lived your life as a result. But just the, the Jewish moral code was so kind of peculiar, so unique. There were just so many things that didn't mesh with like the Greco-Roman society and the way they did things. And so one of the things that Paul is saying is that when you believe in Israel's Messiah, uh, that there is a consequent response to how your behavior will change, how it needs to change, that you can't really live uh, the same way that you used to. And, And sometimes what we tend to do is we tend to make that about being, you know, following a list of rules, like here are the things that I can do, here are the things that I can't do. Uh, This is stuff that is sin and this is stuff that is not sin. And of course, one of the questions that people then tend to ask is, how much can I do and still be good? Like, how much can I get away with? I mean, I remember this in high school, having this discussion with people and people like asking like, okay, like, can I go out and drink? Is that okay? Like, can I, I mean, I'm 16, but who can can I go out and drink? Like, is that permissible? Am I still a Christian if I do that? How much can I cuss and still be a Christian? Is that all right? What about like, how much sex can I have and still be a Christian? Is that allowed? People ask these questions, right? And of course, one of the problems is that we're, when you're doing that, you're missing the point. Because you're trying to say, what's like the minimum bar that I can get over and still be in? When Jesus said, he didn't talk about that at all. What did Jesus say? He said, come and follow me. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. He said, die to yourself and trust in me. And so there's clearly like a difference there. And when we ask those questions, like what's the minimum bar, maybe we're asking the wrong questions. So Paul is saying that like, you can't live the same way that you did as a Gentile, that the way that you live, everything really in some way needs to change. How it needs to change, he'll get into in a minute. But at the outset, we just need to think about that, right? That everything that we do, Paul is saying needs to be thought about differently. I mean, the way that you interact with people at work, the way that you work in general, how you think about money, how you spend your money, um, how you spend your time, what you do with time, how you invest it, maybe your relationship with technology, your relationship with relationships and people, uh, how you date, how you stay married, how you raise your kids. All of that stuff needs to be different. And part of what he's saying is that Jesus has called you to live a different kind of life. He's invited you into a different kind of life. And so he wants to explain what that what that looks like in practice. Um, and so at the outset, I just want to define some things, define some terms. We'll remember what we've talked about in this series is that God creates human beings with an original intent. He creates us uh, with a design in mind for who we are meant to be as human beings, to, to reign in the earth, to reflect his glory and his goodness and his love into the world, and to reflect the world's uh, praises back to God. I mean, Jesus said that that is essentially sums up the commandments, right? All the commandments, all the rules is to love God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul, and then to love your neighbor and even your enemies as you love yourself. Um, That's the kind of intermediary, intercessory, priestly role that human beings were created to fill. And that particularly then as as followers of Jesus, as Christians, we are called to live into, to become a real human again, to become what we were always meant to be in the first place. Of course, um, you'll remember that a lot of times we... uh, don't always get that right. We miss the mark. And of course, missing the mark, that's the, the literal translation of this word that the New Testament uh, is often translated as sin, right? So sin, and, and as I said, a lot of times sin, we basically think of as just doing bad stuff, breaking the rules, not behaving the right way. When the picture that we see in scripture is really sin is more of anything that misses the mark of what it means to be the human being that God created human beings to be. And when you think about it like that, you'll realize that's a pretty, pretty different idea of sin than just like, here's the threshold. And if I can get above it, I'm good. If I don't, then I'm bad, right? It's a very different perspective. He's saying anything that misses that mark, that's, that's sin. And then of course we remember Paul's words, right? In Romans three, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in so many different ways in all of our lives. All of us miss the mark, whether that's in our relationship or the way that we think about money or the way that we interact with other people, our ability to tell the truth unflinchingly in all situations. And you know what? It's because the world's really hard. It's really hard to be a person. Have you ever tried it? Probably have, right? It's hard sometimes. It's hard to know what the best response is. It's hard to know what is the good and loving response in any given situation to a variety of different people, a variety of different contexts, all with their own particular problems all their own brokenness and fallenness that can be really really challenging and difficult um, and so I think we need to remember then when Jesus talks about sin uh, he, he mentions that like that comes from a particular place right that um, the brokenness that ultimately is in the world around us well it comes from within us right he, he put it like this he said it's from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come and then he goes on this list right sexual immorality theft murder adultery rage greed etc etc so you know the list right it goes on and on and on all this stuff that we would typically think of as stuff that misses the mark of what it means to be a true human being jesus out of a person's heart uh, that these things come which is essentially right what paul is saying in this passage that uh, that what happened, um, the reason that you're called to live a different life than the majority of the Gentile world, he said their understanding, their minds have been darkened, their hearts are broken, there's something wrong in their, in their thinking and in their will, in their mind and in their heart. And of course, as Paul explains, really at the end of Ephesians 4, and then even into Ephesians 5, he runs through like several lists of his own. In the New Testament, like a lot of scholars will call this uh, sin lists, really creative name, I know. Um, They call these the sin lists. And it basically is like talking about just these different categories, kind of broadly sweeping of sin. I mean, you know, we mentioned a couple of them, lying, stealing, cheating, bitterness, rage, uh, fighting with other people, sexual immorality, uh, which includes all sorts of things, really any kind of sexual conduct outside of covenantal marriage. It's kind of what that big broadly encompassing term means. Um, Greed, bad language, abusive language, um, just telling dirty jokes at the expense of other people. But I think one of the things that we see is that it really boils down to a couple of broad categories. One, it boils down to how we use our bodies, particularly thinking about the sex part. And then the other part is how we speak to other people, Um, how we use our bodies and how we then speak to other people people in the world. Those are kind of the two broad categories, at least Paul is talking about here in Ephesians. And I think part of the reason he's mentioning is because remember, Paul is talking to a church. He's not writing a letter to some dude. He's not writing a letter um, to just the, he's writing to a particular church in a particular city in a particular time. And of course, all of those different areas of missing the mark, all those different areas of sin, they are a problem because uh, as you might be able to see you don't live in a vacuum and any brokenness or fallenness in your own life it has an effect on other people it doesn't matter if you think it does or not it does it always does because no one is totally independent no one is a complete lone ranger everyone has people around them who sometimes you know your your life and your choices will have an effect on them whether you think that they do or not And I also think it's important for us to remember uh, that as Paul is writing to a church, he's not just pulling this list out of thin air, um, that he's writing to this church with these specific things in mind, probably because they've done it, right? I don't know if you know this or not, but sometimes when I preach and I think about just different people and situations like in my life or in the church that I see, and sometimes maybe they get brought in to the sermon. um, This is what Paul's doing here, like, Paul saw lying and stealing and cheating and sexual immorality and all these other kind of issues at work in the church in Ephesus, which is why he brings them up, right? And so there again, like we have to make a a very important point is that um, this is in a church. Sometimes the world thinks that like um, people in a church or have like a higher level of moral superiority than the rest of the world. Um, That's not really true, right? And If you've been in a church, you know, this is typically true um, because you've seen other people right? And so we just need to acknowledge that. And then of course, get to the point that Paul's making is that we are called to live a different kind of life. And those other areas of brokenness in our lives, we need to do something with. You don't want to just keep them there. And what they do is because it's hurting you and it's hurting the community. Um, it gets us back to an idea that we actually talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is this idea of unity. And you remember that a couple of weeks ago we talked about unity specifically in the context of the community and how we're called to be united with one another, united in love, united in purpose, united mission. Let's talk about some different ways that we can do that. Uh, But of course, one of the things that Paul is talking about is also unity within the individual person. I just touched on that a few weeks ago, but here's where it comes back in. Um, You remember that we talked about Abraham Lincoln, his rather famous house divided speech in 1858 um, in the Senate campaign that he ran in Illinois. Of course, he quoted Jesus and he said, a house divide against itself cannot stand. And he was talking about the United States at the time, which was on the eve of the Civil War, uh, half slave and half free. And Lincoln's point was that it's not, whether or not the house is gonna fall. The house isn't gonna fall, he said. It's gonna go one way or the other. It's gonna be all slave or all free. And of course, that's Jesus' point, right? It's not the house is gonna fall down, it's the house is gonna go one way or the other. It's not gonna stay all light or all dark. It's gonna go one way or the other. You can't sit on the fence forever. And I think part of the problem that Paul is addressing here and part of the problem that I think we see in our lives and maybe in the lives of a lot of churches is that we got a lot of fence sitters. There's a lot of people who maybe want to be a certain way, who, who they've uh, believed in Jesus and they trust the gospel at one level, but not all the way like not with the entirety of their lives. They've given Jesus half of their heart and they wanna keep the other half for themselves. And we think that maybe that's good enough. As long as I can get to heaven when I die, then I'm good. But all the rest of that stuff, like how I live my life, Jesus is better if you just leave me alone. YOLO, right? Like leave me alone, Jesus, I can handle that. I can handle my relationships, I can handle my job, I can handle my money, I can handle everything else. You just stay over there, get me to heaven when I die, thanks, and then I'll take care of the rest of this. Of course, like house divided can't stand. That your house is going to go either one way or the other. Um, is that It's either going to be filled with light or it's going to be filled eventually with darkness. And Paul doesn't want people to live lives that are consumed with darkness. He wants people to live into the freedom that they've been invited into in a life with Jesus. To, to live free from the bondage of sin that's controlling their lives, right? That when you trust in Jesus, you've been set free from the penalty of sin. Uh, but that your life of growing in Christ, the Christian life, is about increasingly being set free from the from the power of sin to control you too Um, and so that's really what what he's getting at here um that he doesn't want people to live that kind of divided life because you can't live there forever and you won't be able to and so i think a lot of us again we sort of intuitively know that and this is what then happens, I've seen a lot in churches. I've, I mean, I've experienced it myself in my own life. And my bet is that, uh, you know, if you've been following Jesus for any length of time, have you ever been in a church before, you know exactly what I'm about to talk about, which is this vicious cycle of sin management. So here's how it typically goes: is that um you know I know that I've been saved. I know that I've been called to live a certain different kind of life, maybe a higher kind of moral life. But I, I frankly I don't really know how to do that. And then so when I sin in whatever capacity that is, maybe I lie, maybe I cheat, maybe I steal, maybe I you know slip up, sleep around, look at stuff I shouldn't be looking at, whatever it might be. Um, maybe as I'm greedy. Maybe it's just I ignore people in need around me. Fill in the blank, right? We've all got something. Everybody's knows what that might be in your own life Um, And then you do that thing and then you feel bad, which is fair, right? You feel guilty and then you say, oh, I feel so guilty and then you say, oh gosh, God, I'm sorry And then you confess and then you repent and you say ah, now I'm good and then uh, You just eventually you find that you come right back to it and when faced in a similar situation later You mess up again and then it's just a cycle of like um, Sin and confe- guilt, and then confession, and then oh, I'm okay, and then sin, and then guilt, and then confession, and then oh, man, hope I don't do that again. And it's just the cycle that goes on and on and on until eventually, what starts to happen is that uh, because you're never meant to live that way, you're not meant to manage your sin, uh, you're meant to kill it. And so what happens is eventually, as you try to just keep managing the sin in your life and managing these different kind of patterns of brokenness in your life. Um, eventually you start to get a little bit numb to it. And eventually it becomes a little bit easier and a little more palatable. And eventually you're a little slower to confess and a little slower to repent. Remember, a house divided can't stand. And so eventually you start to move one direction or the other. Um, Paul has a very different approach to how we deal with sin. He says quite literally that we need to repent uh, You'll remember here at the very end of this passage, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self To put it away, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Remember, desires themselves are not bad. C.S. Lewis said, you cannot hope for what you do not desire. Desire is good. God gave you desire. But desires need to be channeled. They need to be brought under the authority of God. And so you were being corrupted by your deceitful desires. Desires that promised you one thing but could never fulfill. He says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. What you need is a new mind, Paul says. Of course, if you look at the Greek, you realize that this word repentance, it literally means to change the mind. So what Paul is saying here is that you need to genuinely, sincerely repent. You need a change of mind. You need a new mind. Jesus' gospel message from the very beginning in Mark, he announced it. He said, Repent. Change your mind. The kingdom of God is at hand. You need a new mind because the reign and rule and authority of God is now at hand. It's not about sin management, it's about becoming a new person entirely. And of course, you know, how you do that, he gets into that a bit, but ultimately, I mean, it does involve confession and it does involve repentance. It involves continuing to lean in. Um, but I think it's a bit like this, right? Uh, it's a bit like I have a friend who uh, who went on vacation, um, she left her trash in her house when she went away and then came back, and uh, And would you believe it, the house stank. <laughs> like, has that ever happened to you? That's happened to me before, right? Like, where where you go away for a little while and you don't think about it, and then you come back in your house, and you can just, it's like that weird trash stink. Like, am I the only one? I don't think so. I mean, maybe I am, but, um, and then and then you kind of well, okay, well, oh, gosh, I'll take the trash out, right? And so you take the trash out, um, except then you come back in and then there's a problem because the trash is gone, but the stink is still there. And then, so what do you do? Um, well, then you gotta light some candles, right? maybe open some windows, try to get the air to blow through. There's a lot of important lessons in there, right? It's like, number one, the smell can't go away until the trash gets taken out. And what you can't do is to try to like say, okay, well, like what's causing the exact smell? Like let me dump all my trash on the floor and sort through the cans and the boxes and the bottles and, and the banana peels and try to find the thing that is causing the biggest stink. And then let me take that out and let me put all the rest of this stuff back in this trash can. That's not a good idea. One, makes a huge mess. And two, it's just gonna make it stink even more. So what do you need to do? You take the entire trash out, get it out of the house. Because as long as the trash is in there, the smell is never gonna go away. And the second thing is that uh, you're never gonna be able to cover that up as long as the trash is in there too. Right, like you can have the trash in there and like it can stink pretty bad. Um, And it doesn't matter how many like sweet cinnamon pumpkin candles you light, doesn't matter how many like autumn leaf candles you got going on around the trash can, Um, eventually like the smell of that trash can is just gonna keep stinking. It's gonna stink up the whole house. It doesn't matter how many candles you light. So you gotta take the trash out. And then once you get the trash out, you gotta find a way to get the remaining smell out. Because the longer that the trash has been in there, the longer that the smell will linger in the house. The longer it just kinda hangs around and and causes just issues. And so you gotta open up the windows and you gotta light some candles and you gotta really get that breeze blowing through your house so that you get the stink out. And uh, this is all going somewhere, I promise is that in a lot of ways, um, the stuff that Paul's talking about here, these areas of sin in our life, this, this stuff that comes from our darkened understanding in our minds, the broken patterns of thinking and believing and behaving in our hearts and minds and spirits and souls and bodies and wills, these areas is like trash in the house. And uh, Paul's invitation, what he's saying is you can't sort through it. Don't like dump it out and try to figure out what's causing you the biggest problem. You got to take it out. Got to take it outside get rid of it. Don't try to mask it. Don't try to cover it up. Don't try to pretend like it's not there. Don't say that, like, you know, oh, I got some candles burning. It's cool. Don't mind the trash smell. That's not going to help. You've got to take the trash out. All of it. It's got to get out. And then you need to be able to open the windows up and let the breeze blow through. You've got to let the spirit blow through to cleanse, to, to clean, to purify. You need to do that. It's really not an option. Otherwise, the house is going to stink. And the other part of that is that like the longer there's been these different areas and patterns of sin in your life, well, the longer it's going to take. You know what I mean? It just, it just is, I think, a, a natural fact. There's really nothing you can do about that. It's going to take some time for the lingering effects of that to clear out. I mean, once you, you know, we all know and have experienced times where like, you've maybe done something wrong and then you've apologized to someone about it, but the relationship is still damaged. And so in some ways it doesn't matter um, in the immediate what you, how you respond, there's still gonna be some long-term consequences. Even if you've been forgiven, even if the guilt of that has been wiped, there's still gonna be some long-term interpersonal relationship consequences. So bottom line, Paul out, you have gotta take out the trash. There needs to be a clear break with an old way of living and new way of living. And it's not that when you live a new life that you always get it right. It's not that you're never going to sin. It's not that you're never going to make mistakes, but it's that you're never going to give up. Is that the way this is so different from the cycle of sin management is that you're no longer just trying to focus on the problems. You're no longer trying to sort out the trash. Instead, you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. Instead, you're opening the windows and you're consistently taking the trash out of your house and letting the breeze blow through, letting the spirit blow through your life and getting the trash out. It's a continual process of confession, repentance, uh, but with a very clear difference in your direction. Rather than just trying to figure out what the bare minimum is and just feeling bad about it. now it's like turning and surrendering everything to Jesus. Um, you gotta clear out the trash. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 5. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. At the end of the day, Paul's point is that you need to expose those areas of darkness in your life. You need to take out the trash. This is why confession is really so important. Um, 1 John says that we confess our sins to God. He is faithful to to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, um, that we can have fellowship with him, with his son, and with one another. It's so important to confess, I mean, on the one level, right, it is that we can receive God's forgiveness. God is not waiting for our confession to forgive us. He's already forgiven us in Christ on the cross. That's the point, is that when we confess our sin, we can receive his forgiveness because we know that he knows and he loves us anyway. It's that, that point when we can understand and appropriate that for ourselves. But part of what Paul's talking about here is, remember, he's talking to a community. And right, I think sometimes we so personalize this idea of confession, we make it so individual and so just about me and my relationship with God. And trust me, like personal confession is really important. I would suggest, just a thought, you make it a regular practice of your day. I mean, make it something where you bring it into the daily course of your life. I mean, a helpful practice, it comes from St. Ignatius of Loyola, actually. is this practice called examine. And and basically what it is, is that you, at some point in the course of your day, you pause and look back over the last 24 hours. And two things that are really helpful that I would suggest that you do when you do this is to one, look back over the course of your day and say, what were the bright spots? Where can I be grateful? Where did God show up and move in my life? And then you just give thanks for that. The second thing is to look back over those last 24 hours and say, where did I fall short? Where did I miss the mark? And then to confess and then to repent and say, God, I want to come home to you in these areas. I want to surrender it to you. I want to be made new in my mind to you in these particular areas. And so, of course, one of the things that's helpful with this is like James puts it in James 5. He says, um, he says, confess your sins one to another uh, that you may be healed. Sometimes you need to expose those areas of darkness to other people. Now, there's a couple notes on this, right? Not everyone needs to know everything, but I'm a big believer that someone needs to know everything. You need to have the kind of relationships in your life where you are totally honest and totally transparent with someone. Because you need to know, like you need to be able to sit across from someone and be able to to be known and to be loved. Uh, It's one of the things that we were made for. We were made for community. We were made for relationships with other people. You weren't made to go through life alone. Part of the reason that like our society is having such a hard time mentally and emotionally, even before COVID, Uh, was because we're living increasingly isolated lives. People are spending, I mean, a lot of time on social media. Social media is not inherently bad. Um, It's just that we spend so much time sometimes online and to the neglect of in-person relationships. And what can then happen is that when you don't have those relationships where you sit down with another person, you can just be emotionally honest and transparent and vulnerable. Um, You can lose... The, the knowledge and the feeling of your own worth and your own sense of being genuinely and unconditionally loved. And it's so important That's, that James says is how you receive healing in these areas of brokenness in your life. You need to be able to sit with someone and tell them like these areas. And, and honestly, sometimes that is like the really big, scary, dark areas of sin, like we talk about. But honestly, sometimes it's even in areas that aren't even so big and dark and scary, right? It's just, what are you thinking? What are you feeling? when that person said that thing like how did that make you feel just being able to talk about your emotions it's so important because when you keep that stuff in the dark you know what it does it just festers right and when it's not allowed to be brought into the light but when you bring into the light anything you bring into the light all it does is it just it it brings into a place where the authority and the rule and the reign and the redemption that god makes available can be brought through those things Right? So that's why what Paul's getting at is bring your life into the light. Don't leave anything in the darkness. Not everyone needs to see it, but somebody needs to see it. Uh, I was thinking about it this week, and that's part of why I wanted to bring you out here to the woods. I like the woods, and I like fall in the woods. Uh, but I was just thinking about trees this week. Um, you know, the largest trees in the world are redwood trees. You may not have known this. Uh, one of the fascinating things is they can grow like on average to well over 200 feet tall, um, but their roots only go down about six feet. And when you think about a tree that's that tall with that shallow root system, that doesn't seem like that would work, does it? I mean they can in some cases be like hundreds of tons, these trees. They have such shallow roots. So you might as well, how can they actually survive? How can these trees actually live? Well, the reason why, is a fascinating reason, it's because the root systems of redwood trees, they grow together in groves and a forest because the, the roots themselves actually intertwine and interlock. You see, there is no such thing as an isolated redwood tree. They are totally dependent on the trees around them to have interlocking root systems. Remember what we said at the very beginning, the health and the growth of the plant is only as significant and only as important as the health and the growth of the roots, right? So one, you need to have healthy roots that sink down in a good, healthy soil that are receiving the right nutrients, but those roots were never meant to be alone, right? When they're alone, you know what happens is that, like when storms come in life, the trees get blown over, they get uprooted. But we were meant to have roots that are interlocking and intertwined so that those things will not happen, so that crises in your life will not take you out, so you can still be bearing fruit even in challenging and dark and dry seasons of your life. That's the invitation of the gospel, that no matter what your circumstances are, that you can live a life that will bear fruit as a result. Um, And so one of the things that Jesus invites us to consider, he said that you will know anything by its fruit. And so maybe if you just, I'd just like you to do some reflection, right? To look at your life. I mean, Paul's been talking about a lot of different things here in in Ephesians four and five. And and so I'd like you to consider just a few areas of your life. Now you can take a step back and do a more searching moral inventory if you'd like, but let me just at the outset, just take a few different things and ask yourself, what are these activities? What are these practices? What are these disciplines in my life? What kind of fruit are they bearing? Think about your relationships. Are the relationships around how you parent your kids, your, how you interact with grandkids, nieces, nephews, what kind of fruit is that bearing? Is that bearing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? Is it bearing bitterness, anger, rage, resentment, deceit? What kind of fruit is being born in your life? What about, what about um, your interpersonal relationships, whether that's dating relationships, marriage relationships? What kind of fruit is that bearing in your life? Is it bringing more love and joy and peace? Or is it bringing complications? Is it bringing uncertainty? Is it bringing weirdness? What's it bringing into your life? Think about how you spend your money, or how you spend your time, or what you entertain yourself with. What kind of fruit is being brought into your life as a result of these things? Jesus said, You will know them by their fruit. And so if you want to just, you know, determine if this is a good thing or a bad thing, if this is, if this is bearing fruit that lasts or if this is a, a fruitless deed of the darkness, as Paul says, it sounds really scary and big, but I think you get the point. Is that maybe just assess what kind of fruit is this bearing in my life? Uh, and then, you know, where you kind of identify some of those areas. If I just encourage you, maybe take that. Well, first of all, take it to God. You have to to bring that to him in prayer. And then secondly, um, maybe take that to a friend, a trusted friend, uh, someone who you can really be honest with. And if you don't have one, uh, that's where you reach out and let me know. Let the church know, because there's a lot of people who are mature and growing Christians who would love to be that kind of person for you. I mean, I just know for me, like I need that. I need someone that I can be honest with. I need someone that I can fight in, especially like the last seven months of my life. It's been hard. So I'm grateful for Alex. He didn't know I was going to do this. But um, someone that I could be honest with, someone that I can, uh, when I'm having a hard day and not even just where I'm struggling, but just where I can talk to and share what's, what's bothering me, you know, and just bring that out and say like, this is what I'm kind of having a hard time with. What do you, what's your take on it? You need those kind of relationships. It's who who we were created to be as the church. It's how we were meant to live, to have root systems that were intertwined and interlocking. Um, this is, I think, the good news for us and, and Paul's invitation. He says follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. To walk in in the way of love. Paul puts this in different ways in different passages in his letters, but you know, in other places is to walk, to keep in step with the spirit. And as you do so, he said that you will bear the fruit of the spirit in your life. Mentioned before, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of the spirit. But you remember, right, the health of the plant, the health of the fruit is determined by the roots, right? So many of us, we think that like, we need to try harder to be a more fruitful person. I need to try to be a more loving person, try to be a more patient person, try so hard to be more joyful and and kinder and more generous. But here's the thing, you will wear yourself out doing that. The invitation of Jesus, come to me. The the point that Paul is making is go to Jesus, to go to him and let your roots sink into him. Um, Jesus put it like this in John 15, I think a way that is particularly helpful for us. In this passage, he's teaching his disciples and he's explaining to them uh, what how he wants them to live this new kind of life and how to teach other people about it. And he says, abide in me, remain in me. Let my words remain in you. Rest in me, I'll rest in you. He says, uh, I'll prune away the branches in your life that bear no fruit. Here's the thing, to abide really means to live in, it means to keep his commands, it means to put his words into practice in your life, it means to pursue his presence. I mean, all this, you know, is the, sometimes I feel like a broken record because we say it all the time, like, you're not going to become a loving person by trying to be a loving person. You become a loving person, Jesus said, by seeking first the kingdom of God in your life, by seeking first his reign and rule and authority, by abiding in him, by putting his words into practice, by seeking him in prayer, by having, having extended periods of solitude and silence, by seeking him in prayer throughout the day, by praying for other people as you go about your, your day, by, by walking in the way of love, by being slow and patient in the course of your life, by having relationships with other fellowship, right? by uh, really putting the life of Jesus into practice. This is what Paul said in Ephesians 5, right? Is to follow God's example, walk the way of love as Jesus did. And so often we want to look at that and say like, okay, well, we need to do the stuff that Jesus did. But you can never do things in any way like Jesus if you do not have the disciplines and the practices of Jesus in the first place. If you do not have the the rootedness that he had. Remember, everything that he did flows from the Father in the Holy Spirit out through him into the world. You need to abide in him. You need to be rooted in him. And of course, one of the things that I think is so important in that passage that Jesus talks about in John 15 is that he says that he'll prune away the branches that are not bearing fruit. That there's areas of your life on a, let's just take a plant for instance. Uh, It's part of the reason that leaves fall in the winter um, is that there are parts of plants that are not bearing fruit. And and if you know anything about plants, you'll know that as long as you leave them there, the plant is not going to be very fruitful as long as you have those kind of branches that just aren't fruit bearing branches. So the way that you get them to, to bear fruit or the way that you get them to have more flowers or the way that you get new life on the plant is you have to prune away the branches that aren't bearing fruit so that the nutrients from the soil and the nutrients coming up from the roots won't be diverted to fruitless branches. Jesus says I will prune away your fruitless branches I will prune away those areas of your life the fruitless deeds of the darkness I want to prune them away that's the invitation for us this is those areas of our life that's what Paul's getting at this isn't just a list of like do this don't do that it's get rid of this stuff from your life clear away the trash so that you can bear real fruit fruit that lasts, so that you can live a life worth living, so you can live a life of meaning and significance and purpose, so that you won't be a house divided. So you can be a person who is whole and integrated. Remember the word salvation, it literally means wholeness. And what God is doing, what he's up to in your life and in the world, is he's redeeming people and communities and families and and to, to make them to be the kind of people that he always meant them to be, to be whole people. People who aren't split down the middle, living half lives. People who aren't sitting on the fence, but people who are all in, people who are committed to him, who are living out of his resources, out of his good soil to allow his nutrients to nourish them from the roots up. Because the healthier the roots, the healthier the plant. And they would become communities where they have root systems that are interlocked and intertwined. And so i uh, just like to encourage you with one last thing today. Take that time and assess those areas of your life um, and ask the question, what kind of fruit is being born in my life as a result? And then just take the effort, take the time, to throw out the trash. You'll do it with Jesus, bring him into that process, invite him in, ask him to search my heart, oh God, and reveal to, any of, reveal to me any offensive ways in me, as the Psalm says, to expose those areas of darkness in your life. Not because he's disappointed in you, not because um, there's these areas and he's like mad if you don't do it. No, Jesus, there's nothing that you're gonna do that's gonna make him love you less. There's no amount of sin in your life that makes Jesus love you less. I'm gonna say that one more time. There is no amount of sin in your life that will make Jesus love you less. He loves you the way that you are. And his invitation is to come alongside you and say, let's work on this together because I want you to bear fruit. I want you to have an abundant life. I want you to live a life worth living. I want you to find joy and peace and and purpose in your ordinary, average, everyday life. But to do that, we're gonna have to clear away some branches. To do that, we're gonna have to clear out some of the trash. And so I'd like to pray for you and encourage you um, to just remember If it feels hard, if it feels like it's just such a heavy weight, um, it doesn't need to. Jesus said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus' invitation is rest, to rest in him, to abide in him, to let him do the work through you as you continue to pursue him and to seek him with all that you are and all that you've got. So I just pray for you today, however you may find yourself, wherever you may find yourself, that you would just experience God's peace and his blessing and his provision for you in the course of your life. So if you would, just invite you to open up your hands. Don't close your eyes if you're driving, but just uh, receive this, this prayer today. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for using these times and these spaces, as inadequate as they may seem sometimes, to bring redemption, to bring healing, to bring wholeness in the lives of your people. I pray that you would uh, speak to each of us, individually and in as groups, to expose those areas of darkness in our lives, to expose those areas of sin, those broken patterns of thinking and feeling and behaving that cost uh, that so many issues, that we would see this as an invitation to just take out some of the trash. Not as a thing where we're, we're getting smacked on the wrist for misbehaving, but just as an invitation to live a more fruitful life. An invitation to live an abundant life an invitation to know that um, you invite us to to live in freedom and fullness and life with you an invitation to no longer be bound by sin and death and hell but to be brought into the fullness of life in your kingdom so I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in our lives to blow through us to be a refining fire in us to issue the invitation to each and every heart and mind receiving this today to come and follow you to receive your grace to receive your mercy and to receive your love to accept that gentle invitation to come and follow you to come and rest in you to abide in you and that you'll prune away the branches as we increasingly come to you that you'll take away that trash you'll take away those branches that bear no fruit that in the end we can live a life that really does matter that we can live eternally with you in your kingdom that we can experience the fullness of life that you would have for us thank you, Jesus, for this grace. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for the love that you demonstrate for us through the cross, for dying to sin and death itself and nailing it there and coming out of a grave with freedom and wholeness and life in hand. I pray your blessing upon all who receive this today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us again this week, folks. If you do have any questions, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to uh, maybe get a cup of coffee if you're comfortable with that and you don't have COVID. Uh, I'd love to just know how I can help you in your journey of following Jesus. Or if you just have questions about this whole Jesus thing, I'd I'd love to hear them. I'd love to sit and talk about stuff like that. So please do reach out, let us know. A couple other things as we wrap up today. Um, Again, just continually grateful for the gifts and support that you give. If you're looking for how to give, you can go to KendricksCreek.org, find the online giving link, you can do it there. You can also text the word Kendricks Creek to 77977. That'll take you away to all the appropriate pages. Um, You can also send in cash or checks, always welcome. We are still meeting in person as well at our church building um, on Sunday mornings at 11. The service is a little bit different. Um, Depending on the weather, we're either gonna be inside or outside, make that call on Sunday morning, uh, but you are welcome to come to that if you would. Just bring a lawn chair and bring your mask and bring a heart that's open to receiving uh, God's presence in that place. It's been a great time for me. I've really enjoyed doing that as well. Well, hey, if there's anything else that I can do to help you, please do reach out and let us know. Get connected with us, subscribe to the email list, something just so we can stay in touch. I'd love to follow up with you uh, and get to know you better. Um, Otherwise, y'all have a great week. Make a great rest of your day and know that no matter what you do, God is with you. He's not primarily shaking his head in disappointment over you, but he's inviting you to a new life with him, to live an abundant life and to experience the fullness of life that he offers in his kingdom. Uh, Thanks for all that you do. Keep loving and serving. Uh, God bless you. We'll see you next time.